And you might like to find Romans chapter 8, Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 8. Last week we were looking at verse 28. Uh, If you know your Bible at all, that's certainly a verse that you will know. It's so often quoted, uh, and rightly so. It's a wonderful verse. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Then it goes on. For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Some massive truths there, and uh, we're going to start to dig into that this morning. But in verse 28, we saw this great uh, statement that in everything, that's a totally inclusive expression, in everything God is at work for the good of those who love him. And then it describes those who love him as those who have been called according to his purpose. And we were looking at that, uh, that last week, began to unpack it. But there's that statement about God's purpose Uh, And I said last week, there's so much that we could say about the purpose of God. And of course, Paul then goes on to say something about it in verses 29 and 30. This great plan of God. And uh, in verse 29, he says, those God foreknew, he predestined. Then verse 30, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Those five expressions, foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, have been uh, called by many people a golden chain. Five links in that chain, going from starting in the distant past, going forward into the distant future. Foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Five links in a chain, can't be separated from each other. And They're the grounds of our confidence. This called according to God's purpose. What is that purpose? Well, here it is. It's eternal. It starts in the distant past, goes forward into the distant future, and we are in the present, of course, between the past and the future. So Paul speaks here of terrific truths, a golden chain. Each link in the chain is so vital and so valuable. But as we head into verses 29 and 30, I think it's important that we look at this and take it as it stands. Because it's so easy to make it very difficult. It's very easy to make it very complicated because we bring our own opinions into it, get a bit philosophical, a bit abstract. Well, what about this? What about that? And Paul is not looking at all the problems. He's stating the glorious truth. He's looking at the whole context here is about suffering. We're in an imperfect world, a world that is waiting for a day of liberation. In the meantime, it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. We've looked at all of that. And Paul is saying, and we're caught up in it as well. We we share in a lot of the frustrations, the pains of creation. 
but we've got a hope. And he's speaking about the confidence we've got that makes us unshakable in, in all of these things that are happening. And the grounds of our hope are in this golden chain. Now, if we then start querying every link and say, I'm not sure about that, I can't accept that, we're kind of weakening the chain. And we need to take it as it stands and see what Paul is saying here. But remember, it's in a context. And it's, although here it speaks about all that God has done and will do, the context, well, the earlier chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans is speaking about our responsibility, our sin, the, the need to believe God, and so on. And then later on, from chapter 12 onwards, he'll speak about further things that we need to do in the light of all of this. But here, he's talking about what God has done. So let's look at this, this golden chain of things that God has done. And he begins, verse 29, those God foreknew, he also predestined. Those God foreknew. Now that's something that people understand in different ways or maybe misunderstand in some ways because some people would understand that as saying those God knew about beforehand, those God knew would believe, he predestined. Now there are two problems with that. One problem is that it doesn't say it. And the other problem is, if God foreknew that we would believe, then it's denying other stuff that we read in the Scripture that we were incapable of believing, that we were hostile to God. And that's what he's been expounding earlier in Romans chapter 8 here. It's not that God looked into the future and saw you and saw that yeah, you're a nice person, you're a good person, you are likely to believe well, then I'll predestine you to be saved. There was nothing good in us. But in any event, it doesn't say those God foreknew would do such and such. It says those God foreknew. He knew people. It's not that he knew things about people. It's, it's knowing us beforehand. Those God knew beforehand, he also predestined. When the Bible, the Bible speaks, obviously, about knowing about, but when there's a, a, a particular use of the word to know. For example, back in the, prophet, the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, when God calls Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born... I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And there in that verse, we've got the same ideas as in Romans 8, 29. God's saying, I knew you beforehand and I appointed you for something. In Romans 8, 8 29, God foreknew us and he predestined us. It's the same idea. Uh, but notice what it says in Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And then a parallel statement, before you were born, I set you apart. When God knows someone, it's he decides to relate with someone. He chooses to relate with someone. I knew you. Of course, God knows everyone. He knows everything and everyone. But when God says, I know you, that's talking about something special. It's talking about relationship. 
And so you see the opposite of that. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 23. Matthew 7, verse 23. Jesus says, uh, well, verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. God knows about everyone. But here he's talking about relationship. Knowing someone in terms of relationship. I never knew you. Away from me. The crucial thing is God knowing us, God having relationship with us, us having relationship with God. And we know that, don't we, on a human level. I mean, as we look around the building here, uh, if you're a member of the church here, particularly if you normally come, you can look around and you say, yeah, I know these people. But actually, we don't. We know some. And there are a lot of people that we, they're acquaintances, we know their name, but we don't know them. We, we, we know someone when we get to know them. When we when we become friends with someone, you begin to learn what, you're about, what they're about. Then you say, yeah, we, we know them. God has come into relationship with us. And here it says, those God foreknew. Those God chose as his friends beforehand. The golden chain, this first link in the chain, is in the distant past. God knew us before we were born before we were conceived, indeed before the world was created, God knew us. In uh, his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says, He, God, chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. So there's the first ground of our confidence. God has always known us. To make it personal, God has always known me. God has always known you. Whatever happens in life, when sometimes we can, we can think, you know, if you do get a bit depressing, think, no one loves me really. No one likes me. Yeah, God has always known me. God knew me. Been singing so many songs this morning, haven't we, about the love of God. Such love. Such love. This is God's love. That before we had done anything, good or bad, God chose to love us. It's an eternal love. It's before we had done anything to attract his attention, and had we attracted his attention, it would have been for judgment because there's nothing good in us. But God, in spite of all of that, chose to know us before anyone else did, before our parents did. The choice is entirely due to him, and the choice is entirely due to his amazing love. And he's entirely free to choose. Some people, when they bring their own opinions into this, will say, well, that's not fair. Well, fairness doesn't come into it. It's not like God owes us anything. That God, I mean, if God were fair, we would all be condemned because everyone has sinned. We, God owes us nothing, but he chooses to love. And God loved us from the start simply because it was his decision to do that. Those he 
for new. If you want to meditate on this verse through the week, just meditate on those words. What it means that God knows you and that he's always known you. Through all the circumstances of your life, the mistakes, the good times, the things that have gone wrong, in all of it, God knew you. And God always will know you. From before time was, those God foreknew. And then the second link in the chain, those he chose to relate with, he predestined. Or he he appointed us for something beforehand. That speaks about what God decided concerning those he chose. God made some decisions about us, and it was not only a decision, it was a decree. God decreed certain things about us. That's what it means. But notice that Paul interrupts the chain at that point, because in many ways it it, it should have read, those God foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's how the chain runs. But he interrupts the chain after this word predestined to say, well, what was it that God decided? What was it that he decreed? And that's where we come to something absolutely staggering. It's amazing that God knew us beforehand. Before the world was created. And when you think of the the millions on planet Earth, when you think of just the size of the universe, we are so small, and yet God knew us. God had always known us, down through the years, thousands of years before our existence. He knew us. And when we were born, that little scrap of life, He knew us. And as we've grown, He's known us. That's amazing. But then it's even more amazing what he decided about us. And he decided this, that we should be conformed to the likeness of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He decided that we, not just that we should be like Jesus, and it could put it that way, but it says it very carefully, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Do you remember right back at the beginning, before God created humanity, he stated his decision. And it's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That was the decision that man should be made in God's image and God's likeness. And so he made Adam. Out of the dust, he formed Adam, breathed into him the spirit of life, and Adam became a living being in the image, in the likeness of God. Quite what that meant at that time, we can only speculate, because, of course, the story goes wrong. Adam rebelled against God. Adam, who had easy access to God, could enjoy talking with God, and just knew total purity and innocence. Adam chose to rebel against God, is expelled from God's presence, and the image, it's still there, but it's damaged. It's distorted. Out of almost all recognition, man is still in the image of God, but oh, the image is messed up. The image is spoiled. 
Now, God's plan then was to restore the image, to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son. Originally made in the image of God, the image spoiled through human sin. And now God says, but there's a recovery program. And God had always known those who were going to be saved out of this desperate situation to again be remade in the image of the Son of God, to be conformed to the image of His Son. The image was spoilt, but the image will be restored for a purpose, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The idea of the firstborn, obviously the first to be born in a family, and the firstborn would be the heir of the father, would be the chief among other siblings. The firstborn is the the, the one who would get a double portion of inheritance and so on, be the one who represented the father of the household and so on. The, The idea then, God's plan, was that we should be conformed to the likeness of Jesus so that he can be the firstborn. If he's to be the firstborn, he needs some brothers. If he's to be the firstborn, he needs others with him. And God's plan was that we should be the brothers, that we should be the others with him, so that he can be the chief, so that he can be the most important one, so that he should shine above the others and be the firstborn. We, God's great plan was that we should come into his family so that Jesus shines out as the first one. What an amazing plan. We're being called into this so that Jesus should be exalted, that he should be the firstborn among many brothers. And obviously, when it speaks about firstborn, what does that mean? Well, he, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 1, And verse 5, it speaks about Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn, sorry, is this getting knocked? The firstborn from the dead. Jesus died, and he is the first man, as it were, into heaven. He is the firstborn from the dead, and because of his resurrection from the dead, we also will rise. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, it says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits, different word, same idea, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then it says in verse 23, each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Jesus, the first to rise from the dead, because of him, we will rise from the dead. And the objective, God's great plan, is to have a huge family in heaven with Jesus preeminent amongst them. The whole thing is about Jesus. And we have been included so that Jesus should be glorified, so that he should be preeminent. God loved us from the start to bring us into this great plan so that his son should be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus, the center of the whole thing. Now it says, so that we should be conformed to his likeness. When's that going to happen? 
How does that happen? Well, obviously it will happen in the future, back again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when it speaks about Christ rising and being the first fruits, it says in verse 52, in, or, sorry, verse 51, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and so on. It says, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We'll become like him at that moment of transformation. When Jesus comes back, the trumpet's going to sound, we're going to see him, and we will be changed. So, future, we will be changed into the likeness of the man from heaven. But also, there's a present reality, because again, writing to the Corinthians, in Paul's second letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the future, we will be changed. But actually, there's a process going on now. This process of becoming more like Jesus. So, there's the distant past, foreknown, predestined. The predestination, what God has decreed, is now working out through our present experience where it says we're actually being transformed into his likeness, becoming like Jesus. Not by some kind of working out what would Jesus do and trying to do what we imagine Jesus would have done. We can get that right or we can get it wrong. But no, it says this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And Paul has already told us in Romans chapter 8 that sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. God's Spirit in us changing us. That's God's plan. That we become like Jesus in character, in our behavior, in our thoughts, in our speech, a process of transformation. As he says to the Ephesians, we are chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's God's decision concerning you if you're a Christian. That's God's decree concerning you. That's his purpose concerning you. And as we saw last week, God's purpose cannot be thwarted. You're caught up in this great plan that God decided before the world was formed, He knew you and He chose you to be His for this incredibly high and wonderful purpose to become like Jesus. So He's the firstborn among many brothers as us and we're like Him in character, behavior, speech. It's amazing. And the transformation process is going on now. But how does the whole thing happen? That's the decision. How is it all going to be implemented? Well, verse 30 here, those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. The next two links in the chain have to do with our present experience. The decree goes out before time was that this is our destiny. It comes into our experience when God calls us. 
And that's the word we were looking at last week. Those who love him who have been called. And we likened it last week to the story of Lazarus. When Lazarus is in the grave, he's dead. He's been dead for four days. Decomposition has already set in. And Jesus stands outside the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out, called by a sovereign God and called out of death into life. The grave clothes can't hold him. He's alive. Death can't hold him. The call of God brings life so that people live again. And God called us. God called you. The time when you became a Christian, you're responding, but it's God's call. Summoning you into this that God had always planned before time was. It's amazing. And that call into life, of course, normally comes to us, not with a voice from heaven, but via a human voice. Someone speaking, someone preaching, someone just sharing with us. The call of God comes through a human voice. And that's why it's so important that we preach why it's so important that we get involved in evangelism. It's so important that we tell people about Jesus, that we get people on alpha courses or whatever, because God's call that summons from death into life, from hostility into submission to God and worship for Him, comes through a human voice, someone speaking, someone saying something. And through that human voice, the call of God, bringing this eternal plan into being. And so... Later on, writing to the Romans, two chapters further on in chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, Paul says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they're sent? So yes, it comes from God. God sends people, but the sharing the word of God is so important. But what we also need to get hold of, not only is it important to preach, to evangelize and so on, but when we're doing that, when we're sharing the gospel with someone and they seem resistant, apathetic, hostile, whatever, our great confidence is that when we are speaking God's word, God can call through that. And if Lazarus, a dead man, can respond to the voice of God, then the person we are speaking to can. If Lazarus can come out of a grave, and the person we're speaking to can come out of their hostility, their indifference, their entrapment in other belief systems or whatever. The call of God brings people to life. We need to have confidence in God's word. We need to have confidence in the gospel. Confidence that when we, little us, share something about Jesus with someone, the call of God can come and they come into life. Let's never doubt the effectiveness of God's word. God calls people, and he calls people through a human voice. Can be yours, can be mine. We're speaking, and God calls. So the, those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified. And that, of course, is the theme of the early chapters, the first five chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans. We've spent time on that, this wonderful plan of God where his son substitutes himself for us. 
dying in our place, suffering the wrath of God in our place, so that we receive the free gift of righteousness. All our sin laid on Jesus. He suffers for our sin. His perfect righteousness laid on us, so we are justified. We are as it were, righteous in God's sight, and it's a free gift. It's not earned by us. We don't contribute anything into it. We cannot contribute anything into it. It's the free gift of God. Sin dealt with. God's wrath turned aside. Death dealt with by one dying in our place. And so that's wonderful. Righteousness from God, but also the power of sin in our lives broken. Sin no longer our master. And hence, we can become like Jesus. That is how it's possible. There is no condemnation. Paul begins this chapter, doesn't he, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can come with confidence to God. We've got peace with God. Those who are justified, got peace with God, are standing in grace. We see this is how the plan works through. God always set his love on us. Then he made a decision about us. When, when at the time he had appointed, he called us. And when he called us, he took all our sin away, showing it was all punished 2,000 years ago when Jesus died in our place. Righteousness is given to us, a clear conscience. And we're right with God. And we can know him as our father. And we can talk with him knowing that he doesn't just tolerate us, he's always loved us. Since time, before time was, he loved us. And we come into the realization of that. A clean conscience, guilt removed, all the things we're ashamed of, gone. And he's our father, and we're his children, justified through faith. Wonderful, because of what Jesus has done. That's the fourth link in the chain. Justified, that's our present condition. And then the fifth link, which is in the future. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, it's in the future, but Paul puts it in a past tense. We would have thought it ought to say, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he will glorify. And certainly, it would be quite legitimate to put it in a future tense. He will glorify. That's where we're destined for. There's the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what we're looking forward to. It's future. But Paul chooses to put it in a past tense. Why does he do that? Well, because God has uttered the decree. God has made the decision. And that decision was before we were created, before the world was created. God decided it. And as far as God is concerned, it's a done deal. These links, five links in the chain, cannot be separated from each other. If God foreknew us, we will be glorified. Nothing can thwart his purpose because he's God. Nothing can frustrate his plan. When the decision was made, the whole, that includes the whole thing. And as far as God is concerned, from his perspective... The decision's made, the deal is done, we're glorified. We're yet to come into it. But it's, it's, it's absolutely certain because of the previous four links in the chain. They don't suddenly cut off at justified, oh, sorry, failed. 
No, there's a fifth link in the chain and it's joined to all the others and it can't be separated from them. If we have come into this sequence, the end of the sequence is absolutely certain because it's the decision of God. That's why we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's why we've got confidence because nothing can thwart his purpose and it's working through. We're in it, and we will get there because of God's decision, not because of our ability. Nothing was ever about our ability. When God set his love on us, it was not because of anything good in us, and we're not going to get there because of anything good in us. We will get there because of his decision, a decision made before time was. Isn't it trivial then to say, oh, but it's not fair. Hey, wait a minute. Fairness is not what it's about. It's about God's wonderful grace, God's incredible mercy, and his power. That if we're in God's hand, nothing can snatch us from his hand. Do you remember the words we quoted last week? They're so wonderful. I'll quote them again in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. Surely, as I have planned, so I'll just read the context. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely, as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. Then verse 27, for the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, who can turn it back? This is the God who decreed we should belong to him. He's planned it, he's purposed it, and he says, so it will stand. When his hand is stretched out, and it's stretched out for you, then no one can turn it back. It's God's great plan. Now, because of that, we don't say, well, that's fine then. doesn't matter what we do. Maybe we throw in that horribly trivial phrase, oh, once saved, always saved. No, 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 no. We've come into a great purpose, and therefore, we're not casual. It's worth pressing on. It's worth pressing through all the difficulties that Paul outlines in this chapter, and he's going to outline some more in just a few verses further on. We press through those things. We face the opposition. We face whatever comes because we know he knows me. He always has known me. I'm in his hand and he's going to bring me safely home. Therefore, well, as he goes on to say, and maybe we'll look at this next week, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is lots of people can be against us. But who are they compared with God? If God is for us, what can be against us? Everything's cut down to size when measured against this impressive, mighty purpose of God. There's a chain of events here decreed by God. The links are inseparably joined together. Those he knew beforehand, he pre Destined, he predecided 
that they should become like his son, conform to the image of his son, so that Jesus has got loads of brothers and he's preeminent amongst them. They're all there to bring glory to him. That's the great plan. And those he predestined in that way, he called out of death, out of sin, out of rebellion, called into life, justified, all sin dealt with. It's power broken so we can live for God, be filled with his spirit, enjoy him with this glorious prospect. He said, glorified. Nothing can thwart that purpose. That's where we will be. We're secure in God's invincible plan. Whatever life throws at us, we are secure in him. Therefore, our focus is Jesus. We're called into this so that he is the firstborn. Yeah, we're living for him. We're thrilled with him. We'll worship him because that's our destiny. Our confidence is loved by God eternally, not randomly, not by chance, but he always loved us. That gives us confidence when we come to him in prayer. We're loved by God, so we're going to pray. We're going to press through. We're not confident in the sense of who cares. No, we're going to press through with God. Our attitude then is to press towards the mark for the prize, because what a prize. What it is that God's got lined up for us? Well, we want that. We're going to press through. And our passion in all of that is that God's invincible call will be heard far and wide. Hey, we want others to know. We want our voice to be the voice that is the call of God to people. Is that your desire? People who seem quite impossible. Oh, that's a difficult case. Let God's call come to them through your voice, through mine. Because it can work. Because God's call can summon anyone. It got us. Who else is God going to call? We've got confidence in this wonderful gospel. This gospel that is all about Jesus. We know. We know. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? Well, many things. But just this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray.